Hi, and welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feld. A cancer diagnosis is one of the hardest slap in the face imaginable. All of a sudden, you have to become an expert in cancer and its treatments because your life depends on it. Oncologists, family, and friends are pushing you towards chemo, radiation, surgery, and yet you feel there are additional solutions out there. You don't feel confident in that only traditional therapies will take care of it. You may, as I have, seen family or friends quickly go downhill from harsh medical treatments. There is a better way. I invite you to listen to stories from real people fighting cancer successfully through powerful, integrative, and holistic methods. Learn what they did. This is my gift to you to make the learning curve less steep after your diagnosis. The information this podcast could save your life as it has others. Well, Ivelisse, I am so excited to have you on my show today in a creative cancer solution with Dr. Carl Feld. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me on. And you looked through your story and you have a powerful story. I mean, you, you're facing very tough odds. You know, what, tell me a little bit, what cancer were, were you faced with? I mean, what, because it's only like a, an 8% survival rate of what you were dealing with, right? Yes, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 37. And you had, tell me a little bit about, I mean, you had that on your radar already, that this is something that you were concerned about. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so my father was diagnosed actually at the same age I was with the same type of cancer, but he died two years later. I was 13 at the time when he passed away. And because of his cancer, and actually my grandmother and half of her siblings also died of colon cancer, and it decimated my dad's side of the family. And because of that, they started monitoring myself and my sisters early. And at that time, the standard protocol for high risk was every five years to get a colonoscopy. And so I actually started at the age of 18, having a colonoscopy every five years. Because colon cancer is something that develops under a longer period of time. Yeah. So this, this is something that usually you'll see it develop if you monitor it that regularly. So you've had the you know, colonoscopy and everything was clear. And then the next one, it wasn't. Is, is that what happened? Yeah. So like you mentioned, typically with standard uh, colon cancer, it takes about 10 years from it, from a polyp to metastasize and to become cancerous. Uh, what I didn't know at the time is what I have, what's called Lynch syndrome, which is only 3% of colon cancers. And that allows the tumor to the polyp to metastasize as quickly as 36 months. And, and so, yeah, so I, I thought I was doing all the right things. And yet, um, at that time, you know, I was eating healthy, I was exercising. So everything looked good. And like you mentioned, the last colonoscopy that I had had three years prior was completely clear. I had never had a polyp or any kind of trouble with them in the past. So how, how did you then find out, was it during a routine uh, colonoscopy or, or how did you start to kind of think that I, I'm concerned? Yes. So I just believe that I was a busy mom of four. I was homeschooling my kids. I was working in the evenings part-time. I had a business of my own. And so 
I was extremely tired. That is the only, I knew the symptoms to lack out for, and I didn't have any of them except for I was extremely tired. And once the summer hit, my husband's like this, something's wrong. You shouldn't have to be taking three hour naps a day. And I went into the doctor's office and they took some blood work and discovered that I was severely anemic and so anemic that they said, you need to go to the emergency room right now. Your organs could fail at any moment. So my levels were so low that they were concerned. So the investigation began to try and figure out where the bleed was coming from that made me so anemic. And so, so during that investigation, I mean, what uh, was it another colonoscopy that they did an endoscopy or, I mean, what, what did that investigation look like? Yeah. So they, did all the basic tests and nothing came out unusual. And they said, well, my doctor said, you know, let's just go ahead and do a colonoscopy. Let's just rule it out. Mm -hmm. You know, we've done everything else. And at that time they're doing iron drips and things like that to try and get my levels, um, to get back up. I had to have a blood transfusion. So in that process of doing a colonoscopy and an endoscopy to rule out the cancer was what found the cancer. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here you have your, your father passing away when he was 37 and you were 13 years old at that time. Tell me a little bit how that felt like when you were 13, losing your father and kind of the emotional impact that had on you. Mm. Yeah. I'm tearing up even thinking about it. Um, cause I just stepped back into that time. And for me, I just reflected back and, you know, I remember just feeling intense fear and anxiety. I think the fear and anxiety was worse than the cancer itself because I knew that, it had decimated his side of the family. And so the sense of overwhelm began at the thought of not seeing my four children grow up or growing old with my husband, Jimmy was extremely upsetting and overwhelming. How old were your children at that time? So there are four of them. And so the youngest at the time was five and the oldest was 13. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, my, my father passed away from colon cancer as well. Mm, I'm so sorry. And so, well, thank you. So, and it's, I mean, obviously it's not a, it's hard to see somebody. And I, I actually lived in the United States when, when that was taking place. So I, I wasn't right by him when, when it took place. So, but I, I recognize from, from you, I mean, you had to go through that whole process of what it looked like and, and seeing, you know, seeing somebody that you recognize as a power figure in your family mm -hmm. and seeing how they are then, you know, just kind of wilting away. Yes. I, you know, looking back though, I've learned a lot through the years. And one thing that I always reflect on is a powerful statement that I heard a physician share. And they said, though, not everyone is cured everyone can heal. And we literally saw my dad heal, uh, spiritually during that time. And he was, uh, not a praying man. Uh, he would go to Easter and Christmas services with my family to appease my mom. And I found out years later that he had made this deal with God that he spoke to my mom about. And he said, you know, if you get me through this operation, I'll find out who you are. 
and God got him through the operation. And then he spent through, spent the next year and a half investigating and not just going to different denominations. He went to a Jewish temple. He went to a Mormon church. He went to Jehovah Witness. I mean, he, he researched every avenue of faith. And he finally came to this church, a non-denominational Christian church. And he said that he finally found peace. And even though the burden of cancer was heavy, you know, he found relief. And I think that he was trying to be good enough by the world standards and it was heavy. And so when he came to know who God was, he found that peace that he'd been looking for all his life. And you could see it reflected on his face. And when we'd go into the room to see him, you just see, he was just like a shining light. And so even though cancer physically took his body, I know that I will see him again. And that brings me such hope and encouragement. And I love that. I mean, because a lot of us, we, we carry this burden and the Bible you know, talks about you know, putting it on Christ's shoulders. You know, it's not something that we should have to carry. And I, I love that he was unable to let go of that burden and then walk walk into the next phase of who he was and his existence, you know, without that burden, you know, being free and being healed. Yes. Yeah, I love that. So when you were then diagnosed and at, at you know, 37 and, and reflecting back and then kind of, you know, seeing, I mean, all these things going through your mind, you know, not being able to be there for your children, reflecting, I mean, I want to be there, they get married, I want to see my grandchildren, yeah, you know, it's it's all these things that go through your head. So, what were you? I mean, how how did you dress? Because you've been doing all these healthy things, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and then you have the option of doing chemo, surgery, radiation, all the different things that the medical doctors are are offering. You know, the tools that they have. What were your when when you heard the tools that they offered you? You know, what were your thought patterns about that? And, and is that something that some seemed appealing to you, seemed like the right thing? You know, here I'm dealing with something that's very life-threatening, and so I need to do what my oncologist tells me to do. Yeah, I, you know, thankfully, because of my dad's story and my husband was in the health and wellness industry for 20 years, we, we knew about homeopathy, we knew about natural medicine, and we tried to uh, use it as, as our first tool in the toolbox. Uh, not that we wouldn't use conventional medicine. And when I did find out for my surgeon that I, that one lymph node out of 28 was affected. And he said, I, you know, you need to do your due diligence, Evelise, and, and still see an oncologist, whether or not you are going to pursue their recommendations. And so I did, and I actually interviewed three oncologists and uh, I actually, actually have those questions on our website. Anyone can download those for free. And the, one of the questions that I asked them was for my case, I wasn't the typical unhealthy per se outside of the cancer person. And what are my odds of survival to survive this? And, and, you know, and he said, well, if you did our treatments, your chances of survival are 67%. Now that's when they thought it was stage three, because they didn't think it had spread to my liver. And so I said, okay, I fed you your treatment 67%. And I asked him a question that many people don't ask. And that was, 
what are my chances of survival if I do nothing? Mm -hmm. And in my head, I knew I wasn't going to do nothing. I just wanted to see what he would say. And he said, the percentage that shocked me, he said, 57%. Was the 10% difference. 10% difference. And I was like, wait, what? I'd put my body through all of that. I'd burn down a whole forest for one rotten tree for a 10% benefit. I thought for sure the chances were going to go like to 10%. <laughs> and it's funny. I, I had this conversation with him and he's like, well, that 10% is 10%. And that's a large percentage than you think of. And and I made me think of this analogy and I'm like, okay, here you are, spend eight plus years in medical school, mm-hmm. hours upon hours of time and energy and investment. What if at the end of that effort, you took your final boards and you ended up getting a 10% on your test? <laughs> Would you do it? Would you go through those eight years? No. And that was kind of like my process. I always feel like everyone's journey is different and everyone's body is different and they need to pursue what's best for them. But for me, I've always felt like I needed to weigh the risks versus the benefits. And for my case, and while I was sitting in that appointment with him, he says, well, we can throw all that out the window. You're, you, I'm sorry to tell you, but the scan just showed that you have three lesions on your liver. Wow. So you are now stage four and the chances are 8%. So <laughs> at 8% without treating you or 8% at doing nothing or either. Um, he said 8% of the patients survive two years out in total. So he said, okay, let's, uh, you know, I will work with you. And that was what I really appreciate about. He was a humble, curious minded researcher. It wasn't my way or the highway. And he said, you know, I asked him, I said, would you still, I believe that you're the oncologist for me. Would you still be willing to monitor me, even though I'm not following your standard approach? And he said, yes. And so I was so grateful because he's amazing and really believed that I could overcome this. I love that. And, and I love that you, you interviewed several oncologists, you know, prior to, cause a lot of people feel that, you know, all the oncologists are the same. And so it's really important. I mean, here you're dealing with something that is, it's your life. Wouldn't you want to then interview, you know, a few of them that that's going to be, you know, part of your journey and kind of lead your journey. I mean, to me, that makes sense. And uh, so I, I'm really glad that you, that you brought that up. So, and I, and I know that you have, have strong faith. How did prayer and, and kind of taking this to prayer play a role in your decision-making? It's mm, a great question. Yes, it was. We gathered all the information and I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my husband and I honestly believe the caregiver has the hardest role because they want to do everything they can to help you. But I always feel like, you know, your body best to know what is best for you. And you have to evaluate everything. And we prayed about everything. And I just knew for me, just deep in my gut, I just had this feeling that if I did even do the chemotherapy that they were recommending, I knew it would hurt me more than it would help me. And we had this little disagreement, my husband and I, and back and forth. I'm like, I'm chemo's off the table. No, it's not off the table. Like chemo's off the table. And he's like, Ivelisse, we got to see it all. And once we realized it wasn't going to help me, he's like, okay, it's off the table. But then he shared something so powerful that really just turned the tables for us. 
And what he said was, Ivelisse, you know, we could do everything right and you could die. We could do everything wrong and you could live. Ultimately, your life is in God's hands. And do we trust him no matter how this turns out? And for us, it was, yes, we trust you. No matter how this turns out, I win either way. And so that became actually our family mantra is, Lord, we trust you no matter how this turns out. And what that did was it relieved the pressure off of him to make sure we we're doing everything right. And it released the pressure off of me to make sure everything was being done. And I could just open my hands and ask him each day, give me what I need and take from me what, what needs to be taken. And I think that that sense of peace allowed my body to be able to fully be in a state to be able to rest and repair and not in fight or flight mode that happens to many patients. Yeah, I, I agree. That fear of death or that, that uncertainty, am I doing the right thing? Or that continually looking for something else out there that is going to be the one thing that is going to turn things around. To always be in that mode, you're then always not feeling like you are in a place of, of healing and in a place of power. You're always in a place of uncertainty and fear. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I really love that. And, and I've seen that a lot of times, I mean, very frequently with caretakers is that they want to show their, their love and they do that by uh, really promoting what they feel is the most powerful to, to get this done and to, we need to fight this cancer and kill the cancer and go after the cancer. And in their mind, it's always, you know, the chemo, the radiation and surgery that tends to be, and, and the caretaker's mind, the most powerful. And the oncologist is saying that this is what we need to do because they're dealing with their own fear. They don't want to lose their loved one. No. So at that time, when, when you, both of you, you know, chemo was off the table and you were leaning in, trusting in God, no matter what life or death, we know that, that it, it is in God's hand. How, what steps did you take? I mean, how were you guided to develop the protocol that, that then became your solution? Yeah. So thankfully, because my husband was in the health and wellness industry that time, my goodness, you know, 13, 14 years ago, the internet wasn't what it was and is today. And he was able to know what sites to look on for, you know, great information. And he was researching all these supplements and everything that he could find off label drugs and things that could potentially help me. And during that time, two people from two different walks of life mm -hmm. told me that I had to see this uh, anthroposophic physician or an integrative physician mm -hmm. and Dr. Hinderberger. And I was like, okay, I need to listen to that. Uh, and so I made the appointment and it was in his office that he shared with Jimmy and I, all of the clinical trials that had been done uh, in Europe and all over the world and how mistletoe had been used for over a hundred years uh, for cancer treatment. And I'm like, how could I, we have not have heard of this. And he began to share with us all the different benefits of it. I'll, I can share two of them with you, but the ones for me was that it attacks cancer cells without attacking your good cells like chemotherapy does. And also it helps with tumor related pain. 
your energy and mood and so many other things and can also be used with conventional treatments to offset those negative effects. So I was like, listen, we have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And in that office, that appointment, I had my first injection of mistletoe that started my, my new treatment plan. And so with mistletoe, obviously there are a number of ways that it can be administered. So in your case, it was, uh, you were doing it at then sub Q or kind of under in, in the belly, under the skin, that was your mode of, of administration. Yes. And here in the United States, the IV wasn't even around yet. And so I did, yeah, just the injections. And, and I always like to be careful when I share that people don't think, oh, I just need mistletoe and I'll be cured. You know, as we know, there's so many different pieces of healing and everyone's uh, internal environment needs different things. And I did many things, including emotional healing and besides the physical that also I think attributed to, to my healing, but diet changes and supplements and all kinds of things that all work together to heal the whole person. So yes. <laughs> so in addition to them, the mistletoe, um, can you take me down the, the journey a little bit about what other type of therapies, dietary changes, and I mean, like repurposed drugs that was 13 years ago that it wasn't really, I, I mean, that's amazing that your, your husband started to look in that direction because it's like a new thing just these last few years with, you know, Jane McLellan and care oncology yes. and yeah. Yes. And it was actually his brother. My sister-in-law also had a cancer scare. And so they had a book. Um, and I think it was knockout, I think by Suzanne Summers. And in there, she talked about how cimetidine, the study that, and I don't want to get the university incorrect. So I'll just share that they did a study with colon cancer patients that those who started on cimetidine a week before surgery up to a year later had an 83% survival rate versus the 33% that did not. See, here you have chemo is supposed to, you know, 10% difference. And here you're looking at- A like huge percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and, it, and it's imetidine is like a prevacid. What we find here, it's for, it's an antacid for your stomach. And um, it's an H2 blocker, what I found out later. And it also helps to alkalinize your body. And as we all know, cancer thrives in an acidic environment. And so, you know, I know that also played a role in it as well. I actually brought all those things to my physician, integrated physician, and he looked at it all. And, and yes, he agreed that everything that my husband had me on was great, but we just had that missing link of the mistletoe that I needed mm -hmm. to add. And what were some of the other things you were doing? Yeah, Cimetidine, now you did the mistletoe, what other, and this is not, you know, for all the people listening, obviously this was your protocol. This was your personalized that you put together for you. And the only reason I want to share it is so that people can start thinking about, you know, what are some of the possibilities? What are some things to look into, but, and then decide whether this something is applicable to, you know, what they're going through and obviously work alongside with a, a practitioner that is well-versed in this area. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't remember all of the ones that I took at the time, but I know a few of them were like resveratrol, NAC, of course, my vitamin D, I had to keep that up and, and others. So. Great. Great. And other things like IVs, vitamin C, IV is common, ozone, hyperbaric, all these type of things that, that exist. 
yeah, you know, I got some great advice from that same physician and I brought all those things to him. And at the time in Maryland, it's one of those States that's very limited on the integrative side of what they were able to do at the time. So IV vitamin C wasn't even around in Maryland back when I was sick, where it's kind of, you can go in as a healthy person and get an IV drip now for a cold, which is amazing. So yes. So I really got some great advice because I would bring to him all these things. Well, should I do uh, coffee enemas and all these things were being brought to me? Like you should try this and you should try this. And he said to me, he's like, Ivelisse, he said, you have a great protocol here. And my advice to you is, is that if your whole day is spent on treating the cancer, then the cancer is winning. And so there has to come a balance, you know, where you have to decide what you're able and capable of doing and doing the most practical and the best things for you. So you can still have great quality of life during this time as well. I, and, and along that line, I had, can't remember his name, but was, was, we had a little kind of get together conference with a number of practitioners and, and I, and, and he, he was mentioning, he was talking about this, this cancer patient that, you know, he's dealing stage four, nothing to do. And he was, uh, he looked horrible and just looked like he was going out. And, and so I think it was like 15 years later, you know, he ran across the same gentleman looking great and mm. looking fantastic. And, and so he was just shocked that he was still alive. So he asked him, well, well, what, what did you, what did you do? And I said, well, I, I went on with my life and I guess I just forgot about dying. Wow. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, that's so there, that's a, it's a huge, I mean, that that's a really important thing is to recognize that your whole energy, your whole focus cannot become cancer because uh, then you lose the reason for living. Yes. And you still, you need to enjoy, you need to have goals. You need to you know, do the things that you love, interact with your children. All, all these things are, are such a crucial component to be part of your daily life in your journey as you're healing from, uh, from cancer. So, yeah, I love that. Yes. <laughs> so as you were going through this, I mean, they, they'd removed you know, part of your colon. They also removed the portion of the liver you know, where, uh, where they found the cancer. And obviously the concern is that, you know, when is it coming back? Where is it coming back? What kind of monitoring were you doing through this process? Yes. Yeah, so I went in after my surgery about 10 weeks out for my follow-up appointment, and I had started on the mistletoe injections, probably about two weeks before my liver surgery. Mm -hmm. And at that 10 week appointment, I asked my oncologist, so what are the chances that it's back? And he's like, you really want to know? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want to know. I want to know what we're dealing with. And we were waiting for the scans to come back. And he says, well, 10 weeks out when it's gone to the liver, 75% of the time it's back. 10 weeks? That's 10 that. weeks. 75% of the time it's back. And then my husband looked over at me and he says, Ivelisse, you're going to be that 25%. <laughs> and I'm like, I agree. I agree. And I'm so grateful for him because through it all, like I know he had his fears and his worries and, and yet he was that, I call it that lightning rod that took things in and, and helped me to stay strong and mentally focused on the possibilities that God could do and not the challenge that was in front of us. And so at that appointment, a few minutes later, 
the scan comes through and we did a big celebration because he's like, nothing's on there. And we're like, yes, we did our little happy dance. <laughs> and then three months later came back, no evidence of disease. Three months after that, no evidence of disease. And then we spread it to every six months and every year until my five-year mark. And then I was released as a patient. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Isn't that cool. <laughs> So you, I mean, the, the first, first step was being in that 25%. And then your next step was being in that 8%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that percentage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, we all need to recognize that we are all unique. You know, God made us unique. And so in reality, we are neither the 75 nor the 8%. We are the individual and we are the individual you know, under, under God's care and under God's direction. So we, we, even though those percentages look scary, we need to understand that my situation is my situation and it's not part of that percentage. Yeah. And, and that was a big lesson for me as well. Knowing my dad's statistics and my grandmother and her siblings is I had to mentally tell myself, my story is not my dad's story. You know, a big part of me believed that it was, but I had to really reframe my mind to say, no, I'm not going to walk down that path of fear. I'm going to live by faith and fight. And so it's a decision that I had to make sometimes moment by moment. And I can tell you there's several times where, you know, one story in particular, I was getting ready for bed one night. And I was washing my face and putting on, you know, my night cream and all. And I had this whisper came and it said, why are you bothering? You're not going to live through this year out. Your dad didn't make it. Who's to say you're going to make it. Who are you to say you're going to make it? You're not going to see your kids graduate or your daughter get married. And it like paralyzed me at that moment, those thoughts. And I literally had to picture a stop sign and I was trying to hold back the tears. And I'm so grateful that my husband saw this struggle that I was going through. And he created this, I will have no fear prayer that I then clung to. And I'd have one on my counter. I'd have one in my purse and no matter where those thoughts hit me, because it's not so much to say, stop those thoughts, but what are you going to replace it with? So you're not thinking about that negative thought. And so I would say, stop, I pull it out. I would read it because some days I didn't even know what to say or how to pray. I was so paralyzed and I'd read it. And by the time I finished, I felt peace again. So it, it's amazing the power that your mind and your thoughts also have on your ability to heal. And, and yes, you're not a statistic. Each person's an individual and you can overcome great odds, no matter what you've seen or heard in the past or what your doctor's telling you. And in regards to you know, your thoughts, I mean, people then feel like, oh, darn it, here's a thought again, and, and feeling like they are doing something wrong because the thought appeared. I usually tell people it's, it's kind of thoughts are like birds. It's hard to control which bird that's going to fly over your head. They're just going to be there and come, but it is exactly what you're saying. It's, it's how, how you're equipped to address, address it at that time. And also be ready for it and have, you know, and fill it with a different energy. And so that, that's really, uh, that's really powerful, really powerful. Out of all of this, and, and obviously, you know, God had something different for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had a purpose for you. And so out of all of this, you know, what 
became. I mean, you're, you're running a, a wonderful organization and you're, you're inspiring people all over the world. And tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I just always feel like God doesn't waste our pain and he wants us to use it to encourage somebody else, because no matter if you've lost a child or you have cancer or some tragedy in your family, you're the only one that can understand what someone else in that same situation is going through. So I believe that it allows us to hold that person's hand and say, walk this way. You, you can get through this and know that you understand what they've been through. And after I was free of, of no evidence of a disease of cancer, cancer free, they, I just felt compelled that uh, my story shouldn't be the only story that benefits from mistletoe therapy and all the things that Jimmy and I learned on that journey. And so we started Believe Big so that we could have all those resources in one place. And it grew from bringing mugs to encourage patients who are alone in cancer centers and to now in every pretty in many states, I'm saying most of them, you can walk into one of our pottery stores and paint a belief mug for a patient in that community uh, that are delivered to them. And it started out that way. And then it began at my two-year mark when my oncologist was like, this is remarkable. Like this does not happen. Let's do the clinical trial. Cause I would ask them at every appointment, we need to do a clinical trial. And then believe big became the funding arm for the first ever mistletoe clinical trial in the United States. And we did our community grassroots efforts, raising funds to, to fund it. And it actually got completed this past April and it should be published in medical journals soon. And so we're now raising funds for phase two, which is really exciting. And the goal of that is because as you know, with integrative medicine, all of these therapies are all out of pocket. And until a clinical trial is done in the United States, insurance won't cover it and oncologists cannot offer it a standard of care. So that is our big push as to why these clinical trials on natural therapies are important because they don't have pharmaceutical companies behind them to fund them. So we have amazing individuals that uh, support Believe Big Every Day that really believe to have this available for the future patients. And then it also then moved to finding the more of just the one Dr. Hindenburger in Maryland to expanding our network of physicians that are trained in mistletoe therapy and nutrition therapy so that no matter where anyone was in the United States, they could get this help. And then lastly, our vision, and I believe one of the reasons why I'm out here and moved from co to Colorado is to uh, fulfill God's vision of opening the Believe Big Institute of Health. And that vision is, to give you an example, it's, it's almost like the St. Jude's, but of integrative medicine, but for all ages, for all cancers. And we want it to be a place where everything's under one roof so that it alleviates the strain and the stress that patients undergo. They'll come for a two-week evaluation and, and get the protocol for what they need specifically for themselves. And then we can send them off to their local communities, to local doctors that are trained that can continue their care. And not only for those that can afford it. So that is our biggest vision and our biggest dream right now. And starting, uh, we're raising the funds for the land purchase right now. That's so exciting. That is so amazing. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and and that, that's the thing is that people and 
or medical doctors, they look and see, well, that hasn't been researched, you know, it hasn't been done. And the reason why a lot of these natural things obviously are not researched is because you need a huge amount of money in order to be able to do the studies. And there's no pharmaceutical company that's going to spend a huge amount of money if they're not going to be able to recoup any of that. And they can't recoup any money on anything that is available freely in the community, something that is natural or something that can't be patentable. That is the reason. So, so mm-hmm. people should not be afraid of something that has not been studied according to you know, the pharmaceutical standards because there just hasn't been money behind it. But we have all these practitioners all over the world that utilize these type of therapies with fantastic anecdotal success. And, and that carries a huge amount of weight. And that is something that you know, people really need to understand. And that's why hearing somebody's story like yourself is so important. Hmm. Well, I believe it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm so grateful for everything that you're doing. I'm grateful for the light and the energy that that is is being brought through you into the world, and and thank you so much for your story. Well, thank you for having me and for all that you do to educate and to encourage people around the globe. Thank you. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. I hope this podcast impacted you as it did me. Please subscribe so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. There are some excellent shows coming up that you do not want to miss. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please take a moment to write a review, and please don't keep this information to yourself. Share them with your family and friends. You never know what piece of information that will transform their lives. For past episodes and powerful information on how to conquer cancer, go to integrativecancersolutions.com. If you would like to know more about the cutting-edge integrative oncology therapies my center offers, please visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Thank you for spending this time with us, and I hope to see you at our next episode of Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feldt.